Good evening. Great to have you out this evening. What a blessing it is to be here in the Lord's house on this beautiful, cool Wednesday evening. It's great to have you here. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. We will conclude the weapons and armament of spiritual warfare tonight. And so, of course, if you are here last week, we looked at the helmet of salvation. But tonight, we want to take a look at the latter part of verse number 17 and look at the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 17. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare, and Satan is on the warpath. He is seeking to destroy the testimony of believers. He's seeking to destroy the influence um, of the gospel in our community, in our families, in our lives and homes, and the church. Satan is fighting, his demons are fighting, and there is a spiritual warfare that is raging. Um, me and Brother Doug talked about it last night following uh, our one day that we had a wonderful turnout last night for to kick it off. I could not have been more excited about it. Um, I about cried the whole way home, just excited about it. We had several people that y'all didn't even know about that were there that were at home that had helped and participated earlier in the day. And so for our, our kickoff, we actually had right at 16 people, I believe 16 people that were part of one day on our opening day of it. And I thought, well, how incredible is that? Which represented about 20 people in the Sunday school classes. And God just did a wonderful thing last night. I'm excited about what God's doing. But afterwards, me and Brother Doug were talking. We said, you know what? As excited as I am about this, the truth of the matter is, Satan wasn't very happy. And as joyful as we are, Satan's going to fight. There's going to come attacks. There's going to be conflict that arises and things that don't go our way. And Satan is going to do everything he can to get division in this church because there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place. And so as God's people, we must be prepared that we are going to do everything in our power to ensure that Satan does not get a foothold in our church, in our homes, and in our hearts, and we must press forward for the cause of Christ. As we looked at this spiritual armament, everything that we have looked up to this point is defensive. Although the shield could be used as a battering ram offensive, really its primary goal was a defensive weapon or a defensive instrument. And now as everything here has been defensive, we come to the only aspect of the spiritual warfare that, that we are to armor ourselves with. It is really the only offensive uh, instrument that we are given. And here in verse number 17, the Bible says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So here we have the sword of the Spirit. Finally, we have this. In the Old Testament, uh, often refers to speech as a sword. Um, we find that throughout some of the Psalms that 
Uh, the Bible says that the wicked are said to wound with the sword their tongues. Um, Proverbs talks all this how to guard our tongues because it can pierce the heart and, and cause conflict. And so speech in the tongue is often referred to as a sword. But in the Bible, not only is speech referred to of us um, as a sword, but also we find that God's own word is also mentioned as a sword. And so um, that brings judgment. Um, it separates true things from false things. It is a sword or, uh, that is also a knife, a weapon that can use to cut, to divide, that can defend, that can pierce. There are many different aspects of the sword in Scripture that are brought forth. And so um, the thought is that God's, even the sword here is an offensive uh, weapon, but also it is a defensive weapon. And it is to defend yourself. And so, um, you know, really, if you would say that, hey, every piece of this armament is defensive. Really, the sword also is a defensive instrument as well. It can defend yourself. And so, although it can also be used offensively, um, you know, often it is used in itself to defend ourselves. And I believe that in this context of Scripture, that really the primary focus of the sword of the Spirit is defensively. It also is used as a defensive weapon, and we'll look at that momentarily. Um, it's in the genitive form, and um, here it takes to mean, when we look at this, it says, take the sword of the Spirit. And so it's not that the Spirit is the sword, but rather it is the sword of the Spirit, or the sword that is given to us by the Spirit. It is the sword, is the weapon, the armament, the weaponry that we have been given by the Spirit of God. And so uh, the sword, uh, it's uh, given to us by God, 2 Timothy 3.16, Hebrews 3.7. There's a lot of verses, but we'll find that God uses the sword in our lives and we'll look here momentarily at some ways in which we can utilize this, uh, this weapon. Um, if you go back and study from early periods uh, what this sword is, it, is, uh, it was used, uh, it was a sword or a large knife. It really probably wasn't the sword they were thinking of that when we think of a sword, we often think of a sword of a European sword that's a long blade with dual-sided uh, and really it was probably more of a dagger, a small knife that was used. And so this sword, uh, these swords, this type of knife was used uh, throughout uh, Scripture. And it was the same instrument that was used to slaughter uh, sheep in uh, the sacrifices. They would take and the priest would take this small sword, this large knife, and they would use it to offer sacrifices of the, the sheep or the bulls, whatever animal, they were going to be offering as sacrifices in the temple. And so this uh, was a, uh, you know, the Bible says that God's word, you know, that it, it pierces and divides the soul. And, and so it, it gives the same thought that they would use to, to cut, to sever on the animal. And I'm not going to get too graphic with that tonight, but um, it was used to make sacrifice with, to separate life from death, uh, life from death. And so um, it, it really, in many ways, this, uh, this sword, it represents self-sacrifice. Um, 
Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, don't think that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so Christ came to bring sword, but what that was that for? It was sacrifice. Ultimately, Christ sacrificed himself, but in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 6. Are you all familiar with Genesis 22? This is the story in the Old Testament where Abraham offered his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah, or took his son on Mount Moriah to offer him. Of course, if you know the story, you know that God provided ram and that Isaac was spared. I told y'all last week that Maggie was preparing for her Sunday school lesson on Sunday, and she said, I don't know, Dad, I think I'm going to do something from Genesis. And that's not where she went to. I said, well, what story from Genesis? She said, well, I'm not sure. I said, well, you want this story, this story? And I told her the story about Abraham and Isaac and what God did. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, that story's a little scary. <laughs> and I'm sure a parent sacrificing their kids is pretty scary when you're the kid. And so... Um, that's what happened here. So the Bible says, So Abraham took the wood of the uh, burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. This knife is that same type of sword. He took him, and it was meant for sacrifice. In verse number, in chapter 22, verse number 10, the Bible says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. It pictured sacrifice here in Genesis that uh, Abraham was willing to take the sword and sacrifice to God. I think that in some ways, although I don't think this is the primary meaning, just like the helmet of salvation we looked at last week, there are many ways of interpreting that, that phrase there. I believe that this is an interpretation that you could draw from the sword of the Spirit, is that we uh, have, can find defense against the wiles of Satan, against his fiery darts. When we learn to make our bodies a living sacrifice, we sacrifice worship and praise, and we give of ourselves fully and wholly to God, that's a great defense. We can find defense from Satan's attacks upon our life when we come to a place where we say, Satan, I have nothing you can take from me because everything I have I've already given to God. That's a pretty good defense. Uh, when, when you have nothing to lose... Um, you're a pretty formidable opponent. And, and so I think that there's an aspect, but um, Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So it's presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. And so that sword can represent sacrifice. Um, Romans 10, 8 says, but what does it say? This word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 1 Peter 1.25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Um, and so we see that the word of God, uh, that God uses it in many ways to, um, to preach the gospel. It is the word of God that is an offensive weapon and that it can pierce asunder chains of sin. And so we're in a spiritual warfare. Um, it is defensive to defend ourselves, but it is also offensive 
um, because we are going to battle to defend others because Satan is trying to keep them in chains and in darkness and it is the word of God that breaks those chains. Part of our one day outreach ministry is that, listen, we're going out with the intent that we're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ which can break the chains of sin in people's lives. However, I think to truly understand what this all means, we have to go to Matthew. The book of Matthew, um, chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4. I knew that didn't sound right. Matthew chapter number 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And so I want to look at this tonight because I believe this is what, when the Bible says, and take the sword of the Spirit, this is how we apply it in our life, I believe is the correct, really the only interpretation that you can uh, really come out with in this passage. In Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here we find Jesus Christ putting the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, into action. This is how we use that, and that is that this sword is the Word of God. Three times here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus Christ was tempted of Satan. Three times Satan tried to manipulate and to twist things around and, and, and behave himself in, in such a cunning manner that he might tempt Jesus to sin. Now we know that Jesus Christ, um, although he was presented with the opportunity to sin, he was never in danger of sinning. He was above sin. But even in Christ, in his sinless perfection that he is, the Son of God, God in flesh, even as that, Jesus Christ, he pulls out the, his, of his armament the sword of the Spirit, and he goes on attack mode and battle with Satan. And three times Satan tempts the Lord Jesus Christ, and three times Satan, uh, uh, Satan approaches him three times, Jesus answers with the same weaponry. What does he say? He says, is it not written? 
It's been written. It is written again. Jesus says, Satan, here's what the scriptures say. He is the scripture. He is the word of God. We know that Jesus Christ, his words itself, whatever he said is the words of God because he is God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God, and so this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it is the words of Jesus Christ himself. And yet even in that, Jesus Christ, he reversed back to scriptures that have previously been written and said to Satan, is it not written? I wonder why Jesus did that. Did Jesus need to go back to words that had been spoken before? No, Jesus could have simply said, Satan, be done, be gone. And Satan would have done whatever Christ said to do. Christ had full authority in this scenario, as he does in all things. I believe that Jesus Christ said, it is written for a reason because he was trying to display to you and I how we combat Satan and how we combat spiritual warfare. God says, listen, I have given you this weaponry so that you may be able to stand and not be wounded and took out of the fight for my kingdom. But also Jesus says, listen, I want you to have a resource available so that when Satan comes, you don't have to just stand there and take blow after blow, but you can pull out the sword and defend against Satan. What is that defense? The Word of God. Jesus said, it is written. Yes, we must, and it's great that we carry the Word of God with us. I have recently made the decision to go away from a cell phone. And so you can call me still through my watch. And so I know that's crazy. But up until then, I have always had my phone available on my, or the Bible available on my phone, right? And most of you probably, if you have a smartphone, you can pull out your phone and access the Word of God anytime you want. That's not always been the case. And the truth is that even though you have access to the scriptures, there's sometimes you just don't even, I'm the preacher and there are sometimes I know a verse, but I can't find where it's at. And I have to go pull out stuff and like, hey, where is that scripture at? I know the verse, I just don't know where to find it at. And one of the spiritual disciplines that is imperative for us as believers that I believe that we have lost the art of and we have failed to teach this art or this spiritual discipline is in the area of memorizing Scripture. Scripture memorization. To know the Word of God. Um, it's important. Sandra's grandfather... He, um, y'all know we've talked about him. He pastored 54 years, um, Dogwood Valley Baptist Church in Tunnel Hill, Georgia. Wonderful man of God. And they had a Christian school, which my wife graduated from, I graduated from. And every, we would have chapel once a week, and all that was good. But probably out of all of it, the most important thing learned was Scripture. All the church services you've been to in your whole life, babe, my wife's here, 
How many of the sermons do you remember? Not very many, if any. Yet, what are some of the scriptures pastor would walk in? He would, he would walk into the Christian school and he would quote a passage of scripture. What's one of them he would say? Psalms 1, which is? How long has it been since you learned that? <laughs> every morning he would quote in, he would quote a scripture, and new students would have to learn them. And every day he would rattle off 10 or 15 different verses, and all the students were expected to have memorized those scriptures. And this happened for 12 years of your life. It sticks with you more than the preaching. More than, and how many times have my wife or those other students or myself or any of us that learn those scriptures been in a place where we needed the scripture and it came to us. We had that defense of the word of God because it's been hid in our heart. The psalmist said in Psalms 119 verse 11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Knowing the Word of God, not just having access to it, and we have access, and we ought to thank the Lord that we have access to it, but David said, I have hid it in my heart. I've memorized it. It's there. It's a resource that I can draw upon. And Jesus Christ, of course, he knew the words because he's the one who spoke them, but he said it is written, and he quoted Scripture. We ought to be able to quote Scripture. I was a young man in our church out in Oregon. They made me memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Scripture says, listen, God's not going to tempt you. He's going to let you be tempted above that you're able to withstand. But in every temptation, he's going to make sure you have a way to, get, to escape it if you want to. And so I was taught that, listen, memorize this scripture, drill it in your head. And when Satan begins to tempt you, quote this scripture. Why? Because can two walk together except they be agreed? Satan's not going to dwell in your mind when the scriptures and the word of God are there. You're dealing with temptation. You're dealing with depression. You're dealing with faithlessness or doubt in your mind or anything else that sin in your life and you're a preacher i've been trying to fight this battle i don't want to live this way but i'm suffering from the consequences of my lack of faith or i'm suffering from sin and temptation in my life how do i overcome it the very best defense you have is memorizing the word of god better than any 12-step program that may be offered and i'm not against programs Better than accountability, and I believe in accountability. The best defense we have in spiritual warfare is the Word 
of God. I wondered. I'm guilty of it. I don't have the best memory anyways, but I don't memorize Scripture the way I should. When I was younger, I did it a lot. And I'll be honest with you, I memorized some Scripture, but I'm not as faithful at this as I should. I don't like admitting that to you. It pains me to say that, but it's the truth. When's the last time you memorized Scripture? When's the last time you cared to memorize Scripture? Psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart. Takes work, takes effort, takes labor, but it keeps us from sin. You've heard the expression, and I believe it's true. This book will keep you from sin. Or, do y'all know the saying? Or sin will keep you from the book. That's it. Um, taking to ourselves the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. And I honestly believe that we are about to engage further in spiritual warfare. I believe that. I believe the day is coming when, although I'm looking around the room, and I don't mean this negative, but most of you are on the back half of life. <laughs> A lot of chuckles. <laughs> I'm trying to be. <laughs> And, you've look, and the truth is, I'm in the same boat you ha, that you have been. We've lived our whole lives, and we've never really known what persecution was. But the truth is, if I don't see it in my life, if God tarries his coming, my children definitely will. And there's about to be spiritual warfare like we've never seen. So we better get serious about taking on our armament and being ready. We better get serious about learning the Word of God, hiding in our heart. You say, preacher, I've already done that. Great. I wish all our youth workers were in here and our children's workers were in here tonight. Are we teaching and imparting this to them? Are they teaching our children? Forget our youth workers and our children's workers, parents, families. Are we teaching our children, our grandchildren, the Word of God? We've got all the defense, but this is it. We are fully dependent upon the Word of God when Satan comes against us. And my fear is... Listen, I love sports. I do. If y'all know me, you'll know that I am a football fanatic. I give, we were talking the other week with someone about sports, and James was giving me a hard time because Tennessee's basketball and baseball team is so much better than Georgia. And I told him, I said, listen, I said, is there a sport besides football? What are you talking about? 
I'm a football fan. I love sports. I really do. But man, sports have become a God to our nation. And parents will spend thousands of travel ball. They say the average parent will spend now on their children travel ball will spend over $100,000 through, through school on travel ball between gas and hotels and equipment and all the fees. And it, they spend fortunes on travel ball. I'm fine with sports, but we can have time to invest in sports and activities and all these things, and yet we don't teach our children about God and about memorizing the Scripture and about being prepared for spiritual warfare. There's a, there's a reason we're in the spiritual condition we are in this nation, and we have nobody to point the fingers at but ourselves. And if we don't change, the next generation won't change either. And if we don't change, the future's not going to change. So we must be prepared for spiritual warfare by taking on the Word of God.